Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. And if you're a first-timer, welcome aboard. Believe it or not, I'm coming up on the six-year anniversary of the Houston Sports Talk podcast. You never know who you might hear on the show. We've spoken to Hall of Famers, MVPs, World Cup champions, and an Olympic gold medalist. So it's been a hell of a ride. If you're a Texans fan, make sure you catch my last show with Chronicle Texans contributor Steph Stradley. That one was up a couple of days ago on Sunday. I'm putting up an interview with Houston Oilers safety Vernon Perry. It's been 40 years since he intercepted four passes and blocked a field goal in the most significant playoff win in Houston NFL history. It, this is one of the, my favorite conversations over the last six years of doing the podcast, so you're going to want to hear that. And speaking of great conversations, always a pleasure to be joined by longtime Astros and Rockets broadcaster and now prolific author, Greg Lucas. How many <laughs> books have you written now, Greg? Number three came out this year, the Astros Legends book, uh, which uh, I'm very happy with, and uh, I hope everyone will make sure they pick up a copy, either through old fame, Amazon.com or at the Barnes & Nobles around the Houston area. I, I think they'll enjoy it. I actually got to make a plug, because on uh, Father's Day is coming up, and I'm making an appearance at a Barnes & Noble uh, in the North Houston area on uh, in Champions Village Shopping Center. That's at 5303 FM 1960 West, the old name for it. And that's going to be at 1 o'clock on Saturday, and Larry Durker is going to stop by, and that's good because Larry is one of my legends. He's number, he's, a, he's not 79 in order, but he is number 79 in chapter, and he is uh, dubbed Mr. Astro, and I think it's only fitting that he stopped by for that signing and greeting with some of the fans. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's been fun. It's been a great, great deal of fun. Yeah, you were nice enough to send me a copy of it. It's called Astros Legends, Pivotal Moments, Players, and Personalities. And, and you mentioned the numbers in the book. Explain that. What's the premise behind this one? Well, there are 103 of them. And the reason was that weird number, odd number, was because I've considered that, uh, you know what, uh, that's sort of uh, a legendary number in its own right at this point because it's still the most victories this team has ever had in a single season. And that was, of course, compiled last year and it's only what if last year i mean as good as they were with 103 wins they just hadn't been banged up when it got down to postseason time i think they could have won number two but now they're gonna have to try to win number two this year in the book you told the story about the astros coming to houston you referenced something i'm not sure astros fans remember there was a possibility that before the astros were awarded their franchise their own franchise the a's or the cardinals it might have ended up in houston greg yeah, the same people, some of the same people that were behind the initial push and uh, were looking to get a franchise one way or the other. And uh, at the time, uh, both the Cardinals, the Cardinals were actually in big financial trouble. Uh, they had two teams in St. Louis at the time, the Browns and the Cardinals. It was the Cardinals that were in financial trouble. They were the more successful and popular team of the two. But they were the ones that uh, were possibly, because of ownership changes, might be uh, might be moving somewhere else. And the people here, of course, had a relationship with St. Louis because uh, this had been a Cardinal top farm club for years. And so uh, there was a move afoot, and then the Anheuser-Busch stepped in and kept the team local. And the same thing happened with the Philadelphia A's when it was obvious that they were going to have to get out. Philadelphia because they couldn't support both the Phillies and the A's. The same people got involved in uh, seeing about that option, but uh, Kansas City ended up winning out. Yeah, and if you don't know about St. Louis, they could tell you that 
as usual, beer solves all problems. So yeah, the, and Aisha Bush comes in and uh, saves the Cardinals. And, and there's a chapter also in the book, Greg, entitled Oswalt near electrocution may have saved his career. And I didn't remember this story at all. And, and that title grabbed my attention. Can you just tease this one a little bit? Because this is a good one. Well, uh, when he was in the minor leagues, he, uh, he, he finished the season with, with a sore shoulder. Because uh, he had a, a year where he won a bunch of games, but he finished very weakly, and he was moaning and groaning back in Ware, Mississippi, where he lived, and and that it was he was about going to have to go see a doctor because uh, it was really killing him, even when he slept. So he's out doing his normal farm guy chores, and one of those things was to get one of his big trucks, uh, his pickup trucks, operating properly. So he's messing around with the uh, uh, spark plugs. And he touched something he shouldn't have, and the uh, voltage was roaring through his body. And in fact, <laughs> oh, uh, he was stuck. He was stuck to the lines. He couldn't let go. And if his foot had not slipped off a bumper, uh, who knows what would have happened? But anyway, when his foot slipped off the bumper, the circuit was broken, and uh, he was okay. And then he goes in the house and he tells his wife, "You know what? I almost, you know, did this and did that, but my shoulder doesn't hurt quite as much." And he went to bed that night, and uh, by the time he woke up the next morning, he had no pain. He had cured himself. And they don't know for sure why, but they speculate uh, the electric charge had somehow loosened some uh, uh, scar tissue that he had built up over the years of pitching, and it just uh, it, it cured him. But could have killed him, but instead it, it cured him. And then, of course, he went on a year or two later and made his debut with the Astros. But, yeah, that's about as funny a story as, you know, Billy Wagner being a born a right-hander and ended up being a great left-handed pitcher due to a football injury, which, by the way, is only in passing mentioned in the book, but it is in there. So it's uh, it's uh, there's some interesting legendary stories about some of these guys. Yeah, all sorts of good stories. I think my only problem that I had, Greg, is you had John McMullen too early on your list. Uh, I, I tried to forget John McMullen as an Astros fan. <laughs> Well, I had it. Yeah, this, by the way, is in theory listed in order of importance. But let me just tell you, it's not. Because once you get past the first few, which are heavily dealing with the World Series champs, uh, it's it's impossible to actually rank them. Some of them were put together because the next one that I was going to have kind of related. So I, I kind of tied them that way. John McMullen got more credit than than people would deserve because they forget that uh, this uh, Ball Club was in big trouble. They were being owned by credit companies, and they couldn't find local ownership, and he basically saved them and kept the team here. Uh, and, uh, yeah, after he was general manager and after he filed – or after he was owner and after he fired Tal Smith and his relationship with the fans and local citizenship wasn't the greatest. He was always threatening to, you know, move the team uh, – uh, he had bad memories, but at least what he did when he bought the franchise, he kind of saved it from maybe not even being here. Yeah, you just reminded when you read about John McMullen that even a dumb sports owner, you know, finds a few million dollars and a big, huge profit no matter what they do. And, and he was not the brightest guy in the world. Well, no, he, he I mean, he, I, I can't say that he wasn't because he bought the whole thing for only about 19 million dollars and sold it for way more than that. And uh, and he kept the cost low while he was running it, so it wasn't like he was his operating charges were running him into the ground. So he was not dumb. He just wasn't very popular. Before we get to modern-day Astros, Greg, you and I haven't spoken since Bill Buckner's death a couple of weeks ago. Most of the headlines, of course, reference the 86 World Series, the ball that goes mm -hmm. through his legs. But 
while a lot of us were left with that image, or maybe that's the memory that you got, you know, the hobbling Bill Buckner, remind people, Greg, that he once was a speedy guy who twice mm-hmm. finished in the top 10 in steals, twice led the league in doubles, and without injuries could have easily gotten to 3,000 hits. Oh, yeah, at 2,700 uh, as it was. And he, uh, the only thing that was lacking that made him probably not a cinch Hall of Famer was, you know, his power numbers weren't that high. But if he'd gotten to 3,000 hits uh, with the career batting average he had, he would have made it. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's exactly true. He was a very, very good hitter, and he was a better-than-decent outfielder when he still had the ankles that weren't as fouled up as his were. But he's only going to be remembered, at least in an, in an, in an, in an epitaph, uh, for the play in 1986. And that uh, that same thing happened to a guy years before, uh, Fred Merkel, who uh, – you know, forgot to touch second base on a what it was in a game-winning hit. It turned out that he was called out, and it was Fred Merkel's boner, and it was Merkel famous for that boner that was right there on his uh, on his epitaph. And that's uh, that's too bad because he was actually a pretty good player too. And you just heard story after story after Buckner passed away of just what a tremendous human being he was and a, and a great teammate. I was just so happy that uh, he was able to shake that off. In fact, he and Mookie made a lot of money off that later. They made speaking tours and autographs together and all that sort of stuff. And they were, uh, he shook it off, and the Boston fans uh, forgave him for it because uh, that's the other thing, too. He was, it was a, a footnote in history. But remember, if he'd made that play, that still didn't mean the Red Sox were going to win the World Series because there was still another game to be played. But it means they would have been in really good shape because the game was tied. Uh, they wouldn't have lost it at that moment. And that's uh, that's a thing that hurt. And there was a tremendous moment after they won the World Series, finally after all those years where they brought Bill Buckner back and introduced him. And he got an incredible round of applause, standing ovation from the Red Sox fans when they brought him back. So, you know, that was kind of cool. Well, you got real fans there. They They know. They know. He messed up on one play, but they also blamed the manager because they wondered why he was still out there. And as you know, the answer was that uh, – they were anticipating winning it, and they wanted him out there because he was such an important part of it, even though much of the season when he had started the game at first base, they'd brought in a defensive replacement late. And they didn't do it that time, and it bit him. Well, let's get to the current version of the Astros. What's on your mind, Greg? I'm going to leave the floor open. You can take this thing in any direction. What, what aren't people talking about enough? Well, I'm, I'm happy with the way some of the guys that were called up have had their moments. But what we are seeing, I think, in recent games, even the game that was played on uh, on Wednesday, Wednesday, the 14 to one loss, I'm looking at the one more than the 14, and I'm looking at the low run totals in some of the other games. This lineup with all these young guys and not the big sluggers in it is uh, is not going to be successful over a long period of time. So. It's very important that uh, the main guys, the Altuves and the Correas and the Springers, all get back uh, so that uh, the offense is going to be a little bit more dependable. I think they've done great. I think we've seen some great things from all of them at one point or another, but we can't see it every day. And uh, with your veteran players, you're going to see it a little more on a regular basis. That's the biggest thing. I think we've got to get those guys back. Uh, the Astros have played extremely great baseball, and I'm very happy with how – uh, these prospects uh, prove that they are still prospects, number one. And number two, um, that can mean some things down the line if the Astros have to make any deals. They may have some guys that have improved their stock uh, with other clubs uh, if they have to make some deals. So it, it's good. It's been a good situation. Of the young guys, who's impressed you the most? 
Golly, for, at various times, obviously that speed is impressive, and the fact that he's trying to play the infield a uh, little scary out there with his throws, but he he hadn't made an error yet playing shortstop. I think I like I like him. I like Miles Straw. Uh, you're talking about, of course. Straw. I'm sorry. Yes, did did I did leave out his name, Miles Straw. I I like actually Fisher. Fisher has uh, looked like a little better Fisher than when he was up the first time. Uh, I, I like him. I'm intrigued by uh, the catching because I think the guy's got a rifle for an arm and he's a left-handed hitter. He's not going to be a regular, but I think uh, he's got a shot at uh, maybe edging Stassi out for that backup spot, but we'll have to wait and see on that. No, I, I've been I've been somewhat impressed, at, as I said, at various times with all of them. Uh, not sure that we're going to get much else out of them for right now, because they're they're but they're getting a chance. They're getting a chance to be exposed to the big leagues, and believe me, that makes a difference. Uh, the next next one will be when we get to see the uh, the big uh, the two big hitters that are still down in Round Rock, and uh, I'm sure we'll see them both before the season's over. It's September at the latest, and uh, and possibly before that. I've been disappointed in, in Corbin Martin. Do you feel like you saw anything that's a long-term concern for him just watching him? I mean, he's still a young guy. Well, what he was so good at in his first start, he's been awful at ever since, and that is command. In a fastball that was almost regularly zipping on the right side of the plate because it had great movement, but it had he had no command of it. And when you don't have command of your fastball, then you better have command of your other stuff and throw them more, and he wasn't doing that much. And then, of course, he'd come in with a fastball and somebody would nail it. I, I, no, I love his stuff. I'll tell you what, his stuff is really, really good. The guy that's replacing him now, Valdez, has great movement on his stuff too. But Martin has better stuff. Uh, you know, Valdez doesn't throw as hard, but Valdez has the same problem sometimes with command. That's really the difference between most minor league pitchers and major league pitchers that are established veterans is command. If he can get that command in the strike zone, Martin will be a really good big league pitcher because he has all the pitches and he throws hard. What's his out pitch, do you think? Right now it's still his fastball, but he's got to be able to throw it to the spots, you know, inside and outside. He's got a good breaking, he's got two good breaking balls, and he even has a changeup. But when you're not throwing your fastball to get ahead on counts, because that was his other problem, he was never ahead on counts. And when he was, when he won get to two strikes, he couldn't put them away because most of the time he had to throw the fastball because he didn't have enough confidence in even the other stuff over the plate. And, and of course, the fastball was having a problem getting over the plate, and sometimes it was too good. So it's, it's a fine line, but that's the difference between AAA and the major leagues. The major leagues, more pitchers can throw more often where they want to uh, than they can uh, in the minor leagues. And so it's just going to take more work, but I really like his stuff. Let's say that everybody is healthy in a month. What player on the roster do you think replaces Tyler White? Because it doesn't look like Tyler White is going to to be around for the rest of the season. I, I, I could see, you know, even in the next week or something that he, he, he could be gone. Who, who do you think of the young guys replaces him? Well, it, it, a lot of it depends on philosophy. As you know, Hinch's philosophy is not to stick one guy in at designated hitter and leave him there. He didn't do that in 2017 when he had uh, Beltron. He could have stuck him in there and left him there because he was a switch hitter, but he didn't. Uh, and then by the end of the year, he wasn't even uh, playing it that much. He doesn't do it now. He uses it as a rest position, which I'm not sure I agree with. 
But that's what he does. He, he'll use it as a rest position. Therefore, if you bring up someone like Alvarez, who everyone wants to see, under the Hinch philosophy, he's not going to just stick him in there as a DH all the time. And really, that's the only quote-unquote position that I think the organization feels comfortable with from a defensive standpoint, mainly because you don't have to play any defense at the DH. But at the same time, he's only 21, and they don't want him to be locked in as a designated hitter. They want him to learn how to play left field well, first base well, and then you can use him some as a designated hitter. And that's that's kind of the quandary here. But, again, he's so young, and he's not on the active roster yet, and the team is winning, uh, so there is no real urgency but, uh, of course, the fans want to see him, and that's, that, that's not going to determine what they do, but that's, that's something that's out there. You've seen a lot of prospects or heard about a lot of prospects, I'm sure, over the years with the Astros organization. But Alvarez, I, I don't know when the last time that he's been below 1,200 in OPS. I mean, he's barely over it right now, Craig. He's only at 1,205 with his OPS, but, I mean, 353 average and it, it, it hadn't slipped much below 353 in a while well, either. No, no. Here's a, and, and Luno has said this as a hitter, he's major league ready. He's, he's, he's ready to get a shot in the major leagues as a hitter. That doesn't mean he's going to be guaranteed, but I mean, cause guys like Fisher and you know, they were major league ready at one point and they're getting a shot and they're doing it some, some, and sometimes not, but he's major league ready as a hitter. But as Luno has pointed out, he's it's where you play him. That is, that is a factor in their decision with him, because number one, they don't want him to come up here and struggle because they can't even stick it like Marisnik. If Marisnik struggles, Marisnik is still outstandingly important defensively. And you can still use him and you can still have value for him. You, you bring up a designated hitter that struggles and he can't play a position and you just have to send him back. And I don't think they want to get into that. I just don't think they want to do that. Obviously, White is not is struggling. He's been struggling all year, not been hitting well. He probably needs to be replaced, but he could be replaced by one of these other guys. I mean, Fisher could stick around, and, and they could use him in a rotation, sometimes in left field, sometimes as a designated hitter. There are other players they could use. I think they get stuck into this lefty-righty thing a little bit, and we saw that with Goodwan coming up. He has never, since he's been up here, any of the times he's been up here, really been impressive, but he's, he throws from the left side. And so left-handers get chances. Same thing here. White is a right-handed batter. Uh, they got some left-handed hitters. Uh, do they need another left-handed hitter, right-handed hitter? I'm in the old school. You put the guys who hit the best or, or throw the best or pitch the best, but that's – that school hasn't been played by a lot of guys for a number of years. So uh, it, all those factors go in. I, I, it's, uh, you know, and then you even have to go into the factor with some of these young guys that aren't getting a chance now. Guys like Marisnik are going to be up for new contracts. Reddick is going to be up for new contracts. Astros aren't going to keep all those people. They're not. They didn't last year. You know, they could have kept uh, Gaddis, and he would have been a stronger designated hitter than White, but he was up for a contract. They didn't want to pay more. So uh, those factors have to be remembered by fans because it's not just how well you play. It's also how your roster is built, and you don't want everybody to be in the same contract range when they're all going to be due at the same time, and you don't want them to all be at the same age uh, either. You want to have a little bit of uh, variety in age. So all of those things are considered by the the staff and the management when they're when they're actually building the final roster. So 
it's not just what you hit in AAA. It's not just what you did up here. Some of it's experience. Some of it is what you did. Some of it is what may happen in the year to come with contracts. So people have to remember all of that stuff. There'll be some popular guys that won't be here next year, just as Charlie Morton was a real popular guy, and he's not here this year because of contract or or Keichel. Same thing. It's going to keep happening if this team continues to develop guys in the minor leagues. That's not a bad thing, but it's something that makes it, um, you know, makes it uh, sad for some fans who fall in love with some of their guys. I'm glad you mentioned Marisnik because I'm going to make the argument that it's looking more and more to me like you just might want to leave Alvarez down there the rest of the year because when everybody is healthy, assuming everybody is healthy, especially let's just assume that Springer, the big one, is healthy. So if Springer gets healthy, then you've got Brantley and Springer that you want to protect both of those guys and their health. So you want to play Marisnik probably more, and Marisnik has improved so much as a hitter that I would think that you would want to put Springer and Brantley at DH as much as possible and rotating those guys over there to keep them healthy for the playoffs. So if that's the case and they're playing DH and Alvarez has barely played first base at all in AAA round rock, it makes the most sense to me anyway, Greg, that somebody like Miles Straw would be the most valuable because he's got that incredible speed coming off the bench. I mean, that's such a weapon in in late innings. And also he can play all three outfield positions at a very plus rate, and he can play shortstop for you in a pinch. So to me, he's the guy that makes the most sense if Tyler White's out of the equation. If there's only one guy, yeah, I I agree. Uh, Because uh, the fact that they're working him at shortstop, as I said, he he made a couple throws last night. They're kind of scary. They were good. They got him out and didn't make an error, Uh, but he's still learning it. But if you can at least throw him in an emergency, because they aren't going, they aren't going to need need him when uh, they're back at full strength. You know, everyone, uh, including the backup infielders and, and the regular infielders, are all there. They aren't going to really have to play him there. Kemp can play second base. We know that. That's where he started. He's a left-handed, and and that is works to his advantage. No, he hasn't had a very good year offensively, but he's uh, he's he's a lefty and he has a little variety too. They like the versatility of some of these guys. And he's got speed. So, no, I, I think that he, uh, he has a real good shot at sticking around. Fisher might be the victim of just not enough room, in addition to White, when they start putting guys back. And, of course, Mayfield, he, he, you know, he won't be here. So there, there's room. That's for Altuve. And then there's uh, – or, or not. It could be someone else. They may have to make a decision behind the plate. But the thing is, it's a decision where whichever way they go, they are not – getting rid of somebody who is a proven great star that they don't have room for. They may be sending a prospect down, and they're not replacing him with, in, in all cases, uh, in some of the backup roles with guys they can't live without either. So I, I think this club is in a good spot, really good spot. If there's one thing I wish they could get, I wish desperately they could get more innings out of all of their starting pitchers pitching very well and getting to the fifth and all of a sudden have starting to have trouble. That's too early. That's too early to have trouble. And then you'll get into games where you have to use your last two guys in the bullpen, which is what they had to do on Wednesday, because they just can't keep running out their better pitchers in one run games when they're behind. Uh, they just can't. Uh, and so you, you have to have, starters have just got to start all of them. Now Verlander's fine. Cole, Cole's pitch counts are going up a little too much, but he's fine. 
and Miller uh, can be fine, but the other two, not so. And that's uh, that puts a little strain on uh, on things. Dallas Keuchel, does that guy interest you? I mean, it's it, there's no talk about him coming to Houston, and it doesn't seem like they're interested. But the thing that he's most valuable for you for is you mentioned it is is innings. He's an innings eater. Well, he would have been. I agree. I, I now it's looking more and more from what I'm hearing at the Yankees because they're going to probably offer him what he gets for half a season plus more. And the Astros at the beginning were not really interested in multi-year. They offered him a really good one-year contract, but they weren't uh, they weren't necessarily offering interested in multi-year. And so I don't think they would still be interested in multi-year. And uh, and it looks like someone will uh, come through, and it looks like it's going to be the Yankees. And the Yankees, actually, they're fourth and fifth starters. He should be better than both of them. So he could be helpful to that club for sure. Of all of the injured Astros stars, Springer, Altuve, Correa, is is there one that concerns you more than another one? Actually, it's Altuve for one reason. He was on a real offensive slide before he got hurt. I mean, he was uncharacteristically dropping like a rock uh, was getting far fewer hits than normal, striking out more than normal, and other early, really early in the season in April, he was hitting with too much power, too much power for him. But then all of a sudden, not only did that stop, but the hits stopped, and that's the one that bothers me the most because I am concerned that uh, you know he was he's in the 240s I think when play will pick up again, and you got to have the Altuve we are used to the rest of the year, and uh, he's going to have to prove it on the field. That's a big contract, Greg. <laughs> That's a big... well, well, he could have a he could have a bad year. I'm not I'm not concerned about the life being over for him, but players do have bad years. But I think uh, we really can't afford to have him have a bad year. He's got to get at least two seventy, two eighty uh, before the end of the year, and that's a bad year for him. Uh, it's not a bad year for the average second baseman, but it would be a bad year for him, and then he could start from scratch. But he's got to and, and to get to that, he's going to have to hit quite well in the remaining part of the season since he's going to be starting at about 240. So uh, I uh, I think that he's the one that bothers me the most because both Correa and uh, Springer were doing a great job at the plate before they went out. Have you ever broken a rib getting a massage? I broke a rib running to answer a telephone, broke four of them, but a massage, no. I, uh, as I indicated, I did one book. My first book was called Baseball, It's More Than Just a Game. And it had one chapter on weird injuries, off-field injuries and stuff. And I, as I said, I said, if I ever do an update, that one's in there because I've sure never heard about that. That's, uh, I just want to see the arms on this masseuse. She must be strong. <laughs> Are you believing that more than the Jeff Kent uh, washing his car injury? <laughs> oh, or the falling off the treadmill uh, for Moses Alou? I uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure there's a fluke. It could be a some kind of a fluke could happen. But I, if so is the case, then Carlos is short on calcium in his diet because the bones would be awfully brittle. I don't know. Ribs are not actually that easy to break. I mean, you you can bruise them, but to actually break them, you gotta there's got to be some real weight on them. Hit them just at the wrong angle. But I don't know which rib it is. I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know. But four to six weeks actually seems a little long for me for one broken rib. Also, they actually heal fairly quickly if they're not totally snapped off. And I surely can't imagine that happened. But we'll just have to wait and see on that one. I, I don't know. The, or, the organization kind of left him out to dry on that. 
Part of they left him out to dry because most organizations don't like outside training stuff. They, if it's not in-house, they don't like it. And so even if it's true that a masseuse did it, they don't like that because that was unsupervised by the ball club. And uh, they don't like it. And so, uh, yeah, they probably would hang him out to dry on that. Any last uh, thoughts on the, either the Astros or anything that you're seeing, any trends going on around baseball that's, that's caught your attention? Well, the one that's on the line all the time is, oh, well, it's me. The attendance is down. Attendance is down. Well, they, they write those every April and May. But you've you got to factor in. First of all, you have to factor in weather. You also have to factor in ticket costs. What I want to see is how it stacks up baseball attendance in June, July, and August. If that is drastically down, then they have a problem. But April and May are too wishy-washy with the weather and all this other stuff. Let's see what happens when school's out uh, and the weather is uh, good. And uh, then if we have a trend that June, July, and August are down, then we got a problem. But I, I have to wait and see on that. And, of course, you have to balance that out, too, because it's not down everywhere. There's some places like here, Houston, uh, and other places that have good teams. It's it's more than holding its own or doing doing well. So we'll just have to wait and see on that. That's that's something that uh, seems to hit the Internet every spring. And the other, the other one, of course, that's going on is the NBA playoffs. And I, I think we're heading toward Asterisk City for Toronto because <laughs> – with those injured players, if Toronto wins this, there's going to be a, at least a mental asterisk that's right up there with the Michael Jordan wasn't there stuff because uh, uh, Golden State would have been lacking too many of their stop, top stars. But at the same token, injuries are part of the game. How many times do people say it? And it's true, but we still don't want to believe it. But that's that's the other one that's going is the NBA playoffs. And uh, right now Toronto's in a pretty good position because of having the advantage and winning a road game and also uh, – uh, those iffy, iffy health conditions with some of the uh, Golden State players. I think the only thing we have proven is that without KD, Curry is better. Of course, the team is not. And so uh, the team is needed to win, ultimately, championships. And so we'll just have to see how that turns out. I don't think people are going to make it so much about an asterisk because if you go back to Golden State's first championship, there was injuries Practically every round, the Memphis didn't have Mike Conley. Uh, the Rockets, I think, even had some injuries when they beat the Rockets. Uh, there was another point guard that they faced that was injured. And then in the finals, Kevin Love was out. Kyrie Irving was banged up when they played Cleveland and LeBron. So, you know, you could say, I mean, Cleveland would have had a good chance of beating him. I mean, they did beat him a couple or the next year, the 73-win team. And, you know, you're always going to have injuries that are going to be playing a factor. And well, I don't think I don't think it's I don't think it's fair, but I I'm, I'm just certain that if if they're missing both uh, Durant and, uh, and they can't both two two future Hall of Famers, if they're missing two of them, it'll be mentioned a lot. It'll be mentioned a lot if Toronto goes on to win. But I don't think it's fair. I agree with you. It's not fair. You play with what you got. Yeah, and Toronto can say, well, look, uh, we got one MVP, you got one MVP, you've got an all-star in Draymond Green. I, I, I'm not even sure if anybody else on Toronto is is an all-star anymore. I mean, Marcus Gasol used to be an all-star. Kyle Lowry in a weak Eastern Conference was an all-star. But, you know, Toronto can say, well, you know, as far as great players go, they still have the advantage. You know, they still got Draymond Green and we don't have a Draymond Green over here. So, I mean, I, I guess that would be 
Toronto's argument. And I would say, you know, that that's the truth. And for all those people that said, well, you know, the Rockets, they couldn't win. Well, they had they had one all-star and they had one MVP and that was Harden and they didn't have anybody else. I mean, Chris Paul's no, no longer an all-star caliber player. And, he, and so, you know, you're, you're, you got these injuries to Golden State, but Golden State still has four all-stars to start with and two MVPs to start with. And even with a couple of those guys down, it doesn't matter. Well, I think you're right. And I think uh, as far as the Rockets are concerned, they get too much. Uh, they're ripped too much, far too much. Uh, let's be honest. It's the one-on-one style that people hate, and the Rockets use it all the time. And uh, it's not the team. The team itself, when the results were fine, but they don't like watching that. They, and, and fans around the country don't like watching it, and they don't like watching it as much. All teams use it. Curry uses it if he can. Uh, they're double and triple teaming him a lot, and he's not able to do it, but he's so quick. He gets loose anyway. But uh, all teams use the uh, the one-on-one game. It's just that the Rockets would use a lot of the 24-second clock with it and then not get anything out of it, which, of course, that ired people. you got to look at the big picture. The big picture is they won a lot of games playing that style, and that was the way they played. I think they're getting too much, uh, too much uh, uh, static for it. I still think, on balance, they were the second-best team in the league, although I am being impressed with Toronto. And uh, Milwaukee, certainly during the regular season, was impressive. They were not so much in the postseason. But uh, I, I still think the Rockets probably had the second-best team in the league, and they didn't win, and they didn't. They lost in an early round, and so all heck broke loose. And uh, now we'll just have to see what happens in the at least partial rebuild. That'll be interesting. Yeah, a little concerned that Tillman Fertitta has gone a little bit into panic mode, and that's not a good sign as an owner in the early on. But uh, just remind people one more time, Greg, it's Astros Legends. The book signing is Saturday. Uh, when and where is that again? It'll be at the Barnes & Noble in Champion Village, which is on 1960, 5303, 1960 uh, West. 1960 West, of course, is now being known as Cypress Creek Parkway. But so whichever map you're using, that's the same place. And uh, Larry Durker is going to stop by, and it's 1 o'clock. starts at 1 o'clock, and it's going to be part of a uh, actually a, a drive they, they're doing there to help uh, libraries as, as part of the event. But it's, it's worth stopping by for. Book's only fourteen ninety nine plus all the tax and all that sort of stuff. You get a discount if you've got one of those uh, Barnes & Noble discount cards, of course. And uh, I'm happy to see the fans talk with the fans, talk about the current team, talk about the past team, talk about some of the things that are in the book, some of the things that were not in the book. And uh, I think it'll be fun. I hope people will take advantage and stop by and say hi. And Durker should be wearing a Hawaiian shirt of some sort, I would assume. Well, most of the time he is. (laughs) (laughs) So I wouldn't be surprised. He is Mr. Astro in this book. And for all of the things he has done with the franchise, you know, he's working on another book called 29. It's about the Salt Lake City uh, team that won 29 straight games uh, a few years ago, minor league club, and uh, he's working hard on it, and uh, so that'll be fun when that comes out. I'm big for history. That's why when you were mentioning all the folks that you've had on your show, uh, all the guys from the past, I really love that, especially the former players, former coaches, because they they're looser. They'll open up more than maybe when they were active, and uh, they got some really good stories. I've lost track, but I think 
this has been your 18th, 19th. We're closing in on 20 visits for you, Greg, on the on the show. Well, Greg, and I count as I count as one of those old timers because I'm yeah. 73, so uh, I, I count as one of those old guys talking about old things and uh, but trying to keep an eye on the new stuff too. <laughs> thanks so much, Greg. Hey, thanks for having me. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.